Hello, and welcome to Whatever Wednesday with Burkhart Books, the podcast. I'm your host, Diane Burkhart. I hope you'll subscribe and join me every Wednesday for, well, <laughs> whatever. Let's get on with our show today. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Today is March 9th, 2022. You know, I'm very excited about today's broadcast because I had been talking for a while about how I wanted to try and work out how to do a remote interview with somebody. Well, we got it done. Today, I'm going to be speaking with someone who is very prominent in the Into the West Saga Serial book series. I'm sure you will recognize her name because Sharon Springs is named for the character that is named after her, Sharon Stevens. Thank you for being on my podcast with me today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy work day. <laughs> well, thank you, Diane. I'm happy to be here. A lot of the people who follow the book series know that I use the names of my friends and family for the characters because I have such a hard time remembering names, even for characters that I create myself because of the neurological thing going on. Most of the characters, I do not base the actions of the character on those people. You, however, are very different than that. I do take a lot of your personality traits and give them to Sharon Stevens in the books. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Well, I think it's great. And in fact, I had an episode with someone yesterday that made me think of Sharon at Sharon Springs. <laughs> <laughs> you did you point out that they were wrong? <laughs> yes, I did. And they weren't very happy about it, but that's the way it goes. That's when you're one, right, you're right. That's the one thing that I do love about using you for that character is she's the one who keeps everybody in town on the right track. It's like, this is not right. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my job here at work, too, is keeping everybody on the right track. <laughs> Get a lot of uh, derails, though. <laughs> well, that's why they need a good conductor to keep everything in line. <laughs> one thing that people probably would not know about you is you have also started doing some writing yourself. Uh, yes, just some short stories, maybe one page, and most is two pages, nothing really lengthy. I just get into the action and then finish it off. <laughs> what are some <laughs> of the favorite pieces that you've written? What are they about? Well, I have one about this girl that is working in a bar, but her apartment is upstairs, and she doesn't get off work till like 2 o'clock in the morning, and... She goes upstairs, she's so tired, and she gets ready for bed and sits down, and all of a sudden she realizes she isn't the only one in the room. You know, know what the creature is that comes and ends her life, but that's the end of the story. <laughs> okay, so it's definitely, <laughs> it's a creature, it's not a person. Right. Sounds interesting. But we don't know what it is. All she sees is red eyes in the dark, and then they start coming toward her. Do all of them have sort of a horror aspect to them? Yes, they do. My favorite is Dry Gulch, which is a Western vampire that walks into a saloon and drinks everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you have a piece that you would like to read a little bit for us? Yes, of uh, Dry Gulch. Okay. It's it's not very long. It starts out with the doors to the saloon creaked as they opened. Everyone looked up, then went back to what they were doing. 
Some were playing cards, some were drinking. Barmaid was hanging on the card player, winning the most money. The losing card players threw their cards down on the table as the winner laid down four aces and three kings. The losers shoved their chairs back and got up to go to the bar for a drink. The barmaid, knowing the game was over, sauntered over to the stranger at the door. He was good-looking in a tall, dark sort of way. He was dressed in all black with a six-shooter on his right hip. He was holding the door open with his left hand, his right hand resting on his gun. She put one hand on her hip and the other on the door the stranger was holding open. Looking him over, the barmaid said, Hello, stranger, you just get into town? The stranger turned his head away from her and spit on the floor and walked past her to the bar. The barkeep looked up from the glass he was wiping with a dirty cloth and said, What'll it be, whiskey? The stranger leaned his elbow on the bar, rested one foot on the rail. He looked at the barkeep and said, Blood. The barkeep said, What did you say? The stranger leaped over the bar and sunk his teeth into the veins in the barkeep's neck. The barmaid screamed. Everyone jumped back trying to figure out what was going on. When realization hit them, they started yelling at the stranger to stop or they would shoot him. They were ignored. The barmaid kept screaming. The bystanders started pulling out their six-shooters and pulling the trigger, hitting the stranger several times. Still, the stranger kept his teeth sunk into the barkeep's neck until there was no life left in him. The stranger released his grip and the barkeep sank to the floor. The bystanders were still shooting as the stranger turned around and looked at them with a grin on his face showing fangs covered in blood. The shooting stopped, but the barmaid kept screaming. Several of the bystanders ran out the door and kept running. The stranger jumped over the bar and met each man, eventually leaving them lifeless on the floor. The barmaid was still screaming. He walked over to her finally and told her to shut up, then sank his teeth in her neck. She shut up. <laughs> As he walked out of the saloon and got on his horse, he didn't see anyone else around. He rode out of town, stopping at the sign with the name of the town, Dry Gulch. He laughed out loud and said, it is now. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> How many of these stories do you think you have now? I think about five. Do you have any plans and to do with them? Eventually, I hope maybe uh, just to put them all in a book. I've thought of something, you know, the titles like Thoughts from a Disturbed Mind, you know, <laughs> something along that line. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> And those are actually the kind of titles that usually catch people's attention, too. Yes, right. Just short stories, and the end is always a twist. That's nice. I like that. Of course, you know, I have all my cliffhanger endings, so I, I like those. I, know. <laughs> I love that, too. <laughs> of course, at my age, I saw a lot of cliffhanger movies. Well, and I think you're the one who influenced me on that, because we used to always watch all of the serial shows on TV, it was always like the late night right. show and things like that. And you and I would stay up and watch all of that. Yeah. So basically yeah. it's your fault. Those <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the good ones. Yeah. I love those serial TV shows still now. Things like the, the Lone Ranger and everything. Although I really wish they would do one now that actually had, because I mean, there's all these theories that it was really created on Bass Reeves, who was an African-American marshal back in the 1800s mm -hmm. and he was actually the inspiration for the Lone Ranger and I would love for somebody to make a series now the Lone Ranger but actually be Bass Reeves 
Yeah. I think that would be fantastic. I would love to see that. I just want to thank you very much for helping me figure out how to do this remote interview thing. And I can help. Thank you for being my very first guest on my podcast. Well, I'm eager to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you have a wonderful evening and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Honestly, I don't think that's too bad for our first remote interview take. I do need to still work on how to get the equipment to not have such a tinny, canned sound for the guest speaker, where my voice sounds much clearer. But I'm new at this, so I'll get it figured out. And now, as we have been doing with all of the other podcasts, I want to read some more from Into the West, The Orphan Train, the first book in my Into the West Saga serial collection. You can find all the books in my serial available on Amazon.com in ebook, paperback, and hardcover. If you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, you can read the entire Into the West Saga serial collection for free. You can also find paperbacks available on bn.com. And now let's continue with Chapter 3 of Into the West, The Orphan Train by Stephen Burkhart. My pen name. Continuing with Chapter 3. Not knowing what was the matter with Elizabeth, Mrs. Kelly did the only thing she could think of. She gently put one hand on the back of the girl's head and patted her softly as she repeated, There, there. After a few minutes, Mrs. Kelly gently pulled Elizabeth back and cupped her face in her hands. Tears were still slowly rolling down Elizabeth's face. Mrs. Kelly reached into her sleeve, pulled out a handkerchief, and began to dry her tears. Oh, Lizzie, won't you please tell me what's wrong? Mrs. Kelly waited, but when Elizabeth didn't speak up, she continued. I can tell you are in pain. It's going to be all right. If you tell me what is wrong, maybe I can help you. Elizabeth looked at the floor for a long while, then finally admitted, I was punished last night for being out of my room. Hearing that, Mrs. Kelly knew what had most likely happened. She reached out and lifted Elizabeth's chin again to try and get the girl to look her in the eyes. When Elizabeth finally looked up at her, Mrs. Kelly asked, Was it Sister Mary Clare who caught you? Elizabeth let out a sob as she nodded her head yes. Mrs. Kelly knew of Sister Mary Clare's penchant for using a rod on the children. She was a firm believer in spare the rod, spoil the child. Mrs. Kelly stroked Elizabeth's hair as she spoke to her, hoping it would help calm her. How many lashes did you get? She asked in what she hoped was a soothing tone. Elizabeth's voice cracked as she said the number. No wonder the girl was acting the way she was. Ten lashes would be hard for anyone to take, but for a child this young, it would be horrible. Mrs. Kelly continued to stroke Elizabeth's hair as she asked if she could see her back. Elizabeth nodded her head yes as she slowly turned around. Mrs. Kelly gently untied the apron strings and slowly unfastened all the buttons. She tried not to show her shock or make a sound as she looked at the raw red welts raised on the little girl's skin. Dark bruises were already blooming around them. Looking at the lines striping Elizabeth's backside, she counted only nine marks. Mrs. Kelly carefully redressed Elizabeth and then turned the girl around to face her. Thank you for trusting me, Lizzie, said Mrs. Kelly as she rubbed Elizabeth's arms. She did not want to ask her next question, but she knew she had to. 
Elizabeth, I only counted nine marks. Are you sure she gave you ten? asked Mrs. Kelly hesitantly. Elizabeth looked at the floor as she again nodded her head. Yes. Mrs. Kelly was uneasy as she asked, Lizzie, where is the tenth one? Elizabeth didn't say a word, but instead just pointed to her feet. Mrs. Kelly took a deep breath and closed her eyes as she mentally recited a prayer to herself, asking for forgiveness for the things she was thinking about Sister Mary Clare at that moment. When she opened her eyes, she noticed she was still stroking Elizabeth's hair. She wondered if it was more to comfort Elizabeth or herself. Don't worry, Lizzie. I have a salve that will make your back feel better. But right now, I think I need to take you two in to have breakfast. When you are done, we can doctor your back and see about getting you both new clothes. Okay? Mrs. Kelly smiled at Elizabeth. Elizabeth didn't smile back, but sniffed and wiped at her face as she nodded her head yes. Mrs. Kelly got up and started to take a step toward the door, but stopped. She looked back down at Elizabeth's sad face and held her hand out to the little girl. Elizabeth immediately reached up and took hold of Mrs. Kelly's hand and gave her a slight smile. They walked over to where Connor was sitting, and after a moment of hesitation, Mrs. Kelly offered her other hand to him. Jumping up from his chair, he ran up to his sister first. This time, Connor didn't grab onto his sister, but instead, very gently placed a kiss on her cheek. I'm sorry I hurt you, Lizzie said Connor as his lower lip quivered as he spoke. You could tell he truly loved his sister. Elizabeth smiled at Connor, then said, It's okay, Connor. You didn't know. Connor smiled back at his sister, then took Mrs. Kelly's other hand and let her lead them both out of the room. As Mrs. Kelly slowly walked the children down to the dining room, several of the children and nuns in the hallway gave the trio a long look as they passed. Mrs. Kelly was always pleasant enough to all the children, but you never saw her walking around holding hands with any of them. Mrs. Kelly showed Elizabeth and Connor what they needed to do to get their meals in the dining room. She led them to the first table where they picked up a big metal plate and a small metal cup and a spoon. Next, she led them over to the door to the kitchen where a second table was set up with bowls of apples cut in half. A nun stood behind the table ladling hot porridge from a large pot. As each child walked past, the nun would ladle out one big scoop of porridge onto their plate. Another nun was standing nearby with a pitcher and poured water into the children's cups. Mrs. Kelly looked around the dining hall to find the children a place to sit while she waited for them to finish being served. The hall was large and as sparsely decorated as the rest of the home. Several plain wood plank tables were lined up down the center of the hall with matching wood plank benches on each side of every table. The tables and benches looked slightly marred and worn from years of use by the countless children who had been delivered to the founding home over the years. For a brief moment, Mrs. Kelly wondered how many of them were in a better place now. After the children had their food, Mrs. Kelly walked them to a table near the main door. You two sit here and have your breakfast, instructed Mrs. Kelly. Do not eat until you hear the bell ring. Then everyone says grace together. Lizzie, does your brother know the prayer you said last night before you ate? Yes, ma'am. Mama taught us both, answered Elizabeth. That's good. That is the prayer we say here, too. If you finish eating before I get back, please just stay here until I come for you, said Mrs. Kelly. The children promised to wait for her. When she was sure they were settled, Mrs. Kelly turned and walked out of the dining room. 
As Elizabeth and Connor waited to eat, Connor told her about his room and his roommates. When Sister Mary Agnes had taken Connor from her yesterday, she had apparently carried the sleeping boy to his new room and put him to bed. Connor had slept through the whole night, unaware of everything until he woke up this morning. The nun who rings the morning bell in the boys' hall had just walked into the hall to begin ringing the morning bell when Connor came running out of his room in a panic. When he woke up, Connor didn't remember where he was, and he had no idea why Elizabeth wasn't with him. Connor's only thought was finding his sister. Connor had frantically left his room and started darting in and out of all of the rooms in his hall, desperately trying to find Elizabeth. The sister didn't even have a chance to start ringing the morning bell before Connor tried to run past her. The sister stopped him before Connor made it to the stairs. The nun took Connor back to his room and made him sit on his bed while she explained the rules on the boy's floor. Elizabeth was thankful it was a kind sister who caught him and not Sister Mary Claire. Elizabeth was sure Connor would have been punished too if the older nun had caught him. Carrie had not waited in the foyer for Elizabeth to come out of Mrs. Kelly's office. Instead, she had gone into her classroom and practiced a poem she had to memorize for one of her accomplishments. Carrie finally came into the dining room as Connor started to tell Elizabeth about his two roommates, Tucker and Tonsi. They were twins. Elizabeth carefully waved at her friend, being sure not to raise her arm too high, motioning for the girl to come over and sit with her and her brother. As Carrie sat down, Connor continued talking about how the twins had been at the foundling home for more than a year now, ever since their parents had died of influenza. They both were really excited about going on the train this Friday. Connor wasn't sure what that meant, but it sounded fun, and asked Elizabeth if they could go too. I think this is where we're going to end the reading for today. I thank you all for joining me, and I hope you will come back next Wednesday for another Whatever Wednesday with Burkhart Books with me, your host, Diane Burkhart, when we'll continue on with Chapter 3 of Into the West, The Orphan Train. Have a great Wednesday, everyone.